ahead and turn your Bible to the Gospel of John, uh, John 17:20. If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, uh, the, the Bible is divided up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And right at the beginning of the Second Testament, the New Testament, you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book, and that's where we're at uh, this morning. Um, I was talking with Micah in between services uh, today, and uh, I realized that this is the first time that um, I am getting to uh, come before you and preach uh, God's word, not as a visitor um, from main campus, but as one of you and as being a part of, of Sunnyside. So this is, um, th- this is a good moment. And so uh, it, it's so good to be with you. Um, and my, my assignment uh, this morning is to be um, what in baseball they call a closer. And so at the end of the game, uh, the, uh, the last pitcher comes on and he ends the game. And so my assignment is to really end the series that we've been in, in John 14 uh, through 17. And so we're looking at the very last part of John uh, 17. And so really, uh, this is, this is a, a good moment of as we're, we're looking towards the end of this uh, and looking towards the future of uh, so many possibilities here at Sunnyside. I think there's uh, at least another word that we need to hear from God's word. And so um, last week, Pastor Ken um, began uh, preaching out of John 17. John 17 is what's known as the high priestly prayer. And I, I think to make sense of, of what we're looking at today, if you look at John 16, 28, let me just read it for you real quick. And I think this, man, this just really summarizes the entire gospel of John in such a helpful way. Jesus says this, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. The Word who was in the beginning with God and was God, He made His home right here with us. The Son of the living God became flesh, Jesus Christ for us. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live. He died the death that we were supposed to die, and He went back to His Father. So He was with the Father, descended, and, and went back to His Father. But right before he goes back to his father, he dies on the cross. Right before he dies for us, the sin of man, he prays. And that's what we're looking at. And Pastor Ken uh, introed the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for two things. Uh, first, he prays for himself. And then he prays for his, his brothers, the guys that he's been walking through life with over the last three years, Peter, John, James, all those guys, except for Judas. Judas has gone off to betray Jesus by this point, but he's praying for his brothers. And then thirdly, he prays for all of those who would hear the words of his brothers about who Jesus is, and all of those people are who? You and me, the church. And so Jesus prays for the church. And so think about this for a minute. Um, have you ever heard someone say, I'll be praying for you. I'm praying for you. Or maybe you've said to someone else, I'm praying for you. And then you never do. Uh, Pastor Ken has been so helpful for me in this area so that I know that when I say I'm praying for someone, you know what I actually do? I pray for them right then and there because I know I'm going to forget five minutes from now, right? But isn't it really good news? As we, we're going to just listen in on this prayer, Jesus has already been praying for us 2,000 years ago. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But while we were yet sinners, Jesus had already prayed for us too. So let me read out of John 17, um, 20 and follow. John 17, 20 says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, the Peter, John, James, all those guys, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Verse 22, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. 
I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love them even before the world began, because you loved me even before the world began. Verse 25, Jesus closes and says this, oh, righteous father, such respect for his father. The world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. And then the, your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. I think um, if we had it my way, uh, we, we could look at every single phrase in this passage and make a series that would go all the way to next summer. And I would be happy with that because there's just so much that is in here. Uh, did you notice that there's certain statements that Jesus repeats over and over again? He says, I am in the father, the father is in me. I am in my disciples. They are in me. Words like glory, love, all these, there, there's like a repetition. There's a rhythm in what Jesus is saying. And I think to make sense of what we're going to do just in these few moments that we have together is, is understand that Jesus is talking about three different relationships on three different levels. And we're just going to unpack that together in these moments together. The first one is this. Jesus talks about his relationship with his dad, the father and the son. That's level one. And then Jesus is going to talk about his relationship with his disciples. That's you and me, the son and the church, level two. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the church, you and me and how we're supposed to interact with the rest of the world around us, because there is a world that is watching us right now. So let's begin, and let's talk about level one, the father and the son. So Jesus prays to his dad, and as he's praying, he says, I am in the father, and the father is in me. You read the other passages in the gospel of John. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. We're, we're together. We're, we're, one, we're, we're, we're one and the same together. There's such a perfect unity that exists between father and son that you get the sense that like the, there's, there, there's something that is different about them that keeps them together that's different than the rest of any other kind of relationship. And so Christians throughout the last two millennia have said uh, there's, there's a substance or there's an essence. They're trying to using words to try to say how both the Father and the Son share the same divinity. They, seem, they share the same divine nature. And we haven't even mentioned the spirit, but by the way, there's another person. There's a third person called the Holy Spirit. And he shares the same divine nature as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so how many gods do we serve? One, but one God in three persons. If in this moment you feel like that's like trying to nail jelly to the wall, like, like I do, like we're trying to describe something in scripture that can't fully be described, you're not alone. It, no one can fully describe our God. He is completely other and holy. But you know what? When I'm trying to use, like bend the English language to try to make sense of who God is, and I can't fully comprehend him, isn't it good news to know that when you're in the midst of junk, in the midst of, of, of difficult circumstances, you serve an incomprehensible God that makes sense of this crazy world that we live in. And so the Father and the Son perfectly in unity together in their divine nature. And the Father gives his Son his glory. He gives his Son his love. And this is not like a love um, that grows in potential. This is a completely 100% pure love that the father has for his son. He gives it to his son. So that's level one, okay? Father and the son, we got that? Now let's go down a level. Level two, the son and his disciples, you and me. And so Jesus says, Father, you and I are in perfect relationship. You're, we're in perfect unity. And now I want my disciples, that's like Sunnyside right here in a parking lot at the end of November. I want all of them to be unified together just the way you and I are unified, Father. 
And so Jesus, who is, who is the one who on the one hand is perfectly in relationship with his dad, he says, I am in them as they are in me. And so he also with one hand holds it onto his father, but on the other hand holds on to you and me. And so the one who is the mediator, the going between between God and man has us together. So you want to know what unifies us here this morning? You want to know what happens when I go into a Starbucks sometimes and I, I, I meet someone and I go, there's just something different about him. Five bucks says he's a Christian. You ever had that moment before where you haven't really got to know someone, but you're like, there's something different about them, that they have something similar to me the way I have with them. What is that thing? And, and here's what it is. What does it mean to be in Christ? It is that he has given us his very own spirit, the Holy Spirit. You may have nothing in common with the person to your left or to your right, but what you do have in common is this, the spirit of the living God who spoke darkness into light, created everything. We can look around his nature and say, there's something that's bigger than just me out there. He has placed his own spirit within you. And what it ought to give you reassurance when you consider that God dwells within you as the Christian is that for every single teacher who has been on Zoom, every single student has, who has been dealing with just, just depression and junk and all of that from, from, from not being in person, for every single person who has been affected by this last season that we've been in, if you call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the assurance that you have. The one who has placed his spirit within you will never leave you or forsake you. He is the one who has been present with you even in the midst of your trouble. He is the one who prompts you and reminds you that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light and that we can cast all of our burdens upon him because he cares for us and he will not leave us. That's what it means to have the spirit within us. That's, that's the reassurance that we have. There's more. <laughs> he gives us his love. I was thinking about this over the last week as I was looking at my son. I'm an owl father of almost 10 months. And my son, um, I remember the, the, the uh, February 15th when he was born, we're in the delivery room. And I'm, uh, I remember all the uh, different fathers had said to me, this is what I experienced. This is maybe what you might go with, go through, prepare for this, prepare for that. I remember when he was actually born, I just had all these feelings go through, through me. One of them was just incredible responsibility. But the other thing that came over me, you, you know what it was? Was going, I don't even know how to feel right now because it's just, wow, my wife just did that. And wow, I, I, have, I, have, I should have no complaints forevermore to my, to my wife, right? And I'm going, I, I cannot believe that this is, this is now our, our life. Did I love my son completely on that day? Holy, 100%? Was my heart full? Yes. You know what's happened in the last 10 months, though? Um, when I look at my son and as he's begun to crawl, as he's begun to climb up on things, my heart has got, gotten bigger. And so, in a sense, do I love my son at a greater capacity than I did 10 months ago? Absolutely. Talking to my mother just, just a couple nights ago, and she said, now imagine being a mother of 28 years, and, and your heart grows even more for, for your kid. But you want to know the difference between parental love on a human level for your kid and parental love that the father has for you and I. My love for my son has grown, but God is love and he does not grow in his capacity for love. He does, he does not love you more on the basis of your actions, what you have done good or what you have done poorly. He does not change. He is perfect love. God does, God does not grow in his potential for you God does not grow in the potential of his love for you. He completely loved you on the day of your salvation. And so what actually changes that when that day, when you first believed, 
God completely gave you his love. And then further on, you grow in the Christian life. A few years later, you go, wow, he really loves me. Now I realize how much he loves me. And you go even further down the line, you go, now I realize how much God loves me. What has changed is not God's love for you. You got all of it, even though you didn't deserve it on the day of your salvation. What has changed is the realization that the spirit has placed within you to understand this is who God was the entire time for you. God loves us. And yes, there's more. He gives us his glory. And so Jesus says, I want them to see the same glory. I want them to see my glory. And I think of 1 Corinthians 13. I think about uh, that moment where we will see Jesus face to face. And the reassurance I have when I think about, like, I, I imagine standing with, with, with Micah uh, in, in the kingdom to come. And I don't know if we'll have a purple, blue, green mohawk or what, but we'll be standing there together. And we'll say, remember what it was like in the butt freezing cold in the middle of November? Remember what it, like, what it was like when it rained on us, rained on us in the middle of church in October? Remember when hell and fire and brimstone were coming down from, uh, from on high on the middle of a church service because of the fires that were happening just the mountains above us. All of those things pale and are dim in comparison for seeing Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so what brings us as a church together is the reality that God has given us his love and he has given us that future hope of glory, that this moment that you may be in, that you walked into church with, it will pass because we will see the Lord face to face. Isn't that great reassurance to have that? And so God has perfect relationship within himself. And he says to us, you're included. And we get his love and we get his glory. Now let's talk about that third level. The relationship between the disciples of Jesus, the church, and the world. What does it mean to be a part of the world? Jesus says, if you are a part of the world, here's what that means. You do not know God. You're apart from him. And if you remember last week, um, I don't have the picture up, but you remember we had a picture of, of Derek Carr and Derek Carr had, um, uh, and Pastor Ken said, oh, imagine if you knew all of these facts about Derek Carr, you, you knew uh, what number jersey he had, you know what team he played for, who he's going to play against, all these different details, the high school he went to, which Pastor Ken was the only one who knew which high school he went to um, and all these different details. But then you actually showed up to his house. It would be very weird. And he said, let's just hang out, bro. He would say that it's very weird and he'd call security on you. Why? Because he knows, you know, facts about him, but you don't actually know him and he doesn't know you. And there will come a day when Jesus will say this, this to some people, depart from me, I never knew you. And I wonder if it might be people who showed up to church at Sunnyside every single Sunday. I wonder if it's people who maybe even served. I wonder if it's maybe people who said, I did all these religious acts, but Jesus said, you didn't actually know me. You knew facts about me. You, know de you knew details, but we weren't in relationship. How does this all come together, this relationship between the Father and the Son down to, the, down to us as the church and how we influence the rest of the world? I think this is how it all comes together. When I think of, of my friend Linda and I think about the life that she was living, she had the love of God within her, the, the future hope of glory that was in her. And then what happened? My friend Mike saw Linda's life and said, what does she have that I don't have? And I need that because you know what was different about her life? It was she was actually, go figure, ready for this. She was actually practicing what she preached. She was actually acting like a Christian. The beliefs that she had were actually coming through in how she walked and talked. And he said, I want what she has. And so what does Linda do? She invites him to Mike to come to church. Mike comes to church and he says, these, all these people are singing. This guy, this guy is, 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 is preaching and actually loves his Lord. I need this. And he surrenders his life, dedicates it to the Lord Jesus Christ and gets dunked in water over there last week, right? And so you look at that and go, where did that start? It started with, with Lord. 
beginning that work. And so if we want to say, when someone believes in God, who's responsible? God's responsible. If someone rejects God, who's responsible? That man's responsible. But if somebody doesn't know God, who's responsible? I'm responsible and we are responsible because if we want our community right here in Sunnyside to actually know the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have to be the ones that go and tell and actually are first unified together. We must be unified together. And if you look at the American church over the last maybe 10 months or so, you can see we have a lot of room to grow when it comes to being unified together. And so if we want to be the difference makers, we got to get this right, our own house right together. So as the world that is watching us will say, what do they have that I don't have? I think there's at least two ways that we can do that. I think the first way is this. The first way we can be unified together as a church body is to one, understand this. Understand that your private life at home affects your public life at church. And so your lack or the practice of the spiritual disciplines of, this is what the pastor says every Sunday, right? Read your Bible. Pray, right? Do, 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 do the things that God has called us to do. Um, uh, fast. Different things like do your, do your shape journaling. We have shape journals over there where you can meet with the Lord every single morning. Uh, you, you practicing those things makes a difference on whether the countenance on your face, the ways that you react at church, or the things that you say out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks we will know what's happening in your private life. There's no such thing as private sin. There's no such thing as these things I'm doing in a corner and no one else is affected by it. The person who is sitting to your left or right is directly impacted by what you are doing at home and it comes through. And so I wanna say this, as a college and young adults pastor, I know most of y'all are not on Instagram but I do have a Facebook. And I know that many of us are on Facebook. So don't play me like you don't know that you are on social media. I know you are because I'm friends with a lot of you. And so what we do on social media is a result of what we're doing in our personal life. And what we do on social media, how we speak and all those things impacts how people see our church community right here, right here. Second way. So one, we're understanding that our private life affects our public life. Secondly, we must understand that if you want to really be a part of a church family, you must be willing to serve. And so it's not just a statement of something to say um, at, at, during the announcements time of uh, join one of our 36 servants. We have these, these signs that we've put up all over the place. It's not just something to say to say it. It's because if we actually want lost people to come into these doors, to come right here into our community, if we want to be the most welcoming people, we have to use our hands and our feet. This place has been known for being something of a church graveyard that, 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 that church plants come here to the Southeast Fresno to die. Not us. We've been through too much already. We've been through too, much, too many tough moments. We're not going anywhere because God has placed us here in this moment, in this time, so that we could be unified together and so that the watching Sunnyside world around us would say, what do they have that I do not have? This is not the moment for apathy. This is the moment for stepping up. And so I want to encourage you would you consider if you're not already serving? Fill out, check one of those boxes off, put it in the, in the giving box over here and let's serve and let's do this thing together. What an amazing prayer that Jesus gives us. What an amazing thing that he has to, to say that we get to eavesdrop on this conversation between him and his dad. And I think that as we look to the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, how it impacts you and I, and we live in his love, the perfect fatherly love that we get that we did not deserve. And that even though, the, even though we may have never received that before, that love is for us. My goodness, we got to tell somebody about it, right?
And I think when we do, we're going to transform this community that's right around us. Amen.